0: Paul is chained, but the gospel is going out. The gospel is being shared, so Paul rejoices. Paul opens the letter with a heart-stirring thanksgiving and prayer before proclaiming that God is sovereignly using his chains to advance the gospel. Next, he moves into the weighty exhortation of the letter, challenging the Philippians to live worthy of the gospel, followed by a plea for the church to be unified that comes through humility. Paul then defines humility by focusing on Jesus. You see, living a life worthy of the gospel means working hard to show the results of your salvation. It it means walking with God as he empowers you for the task. Everyone knows God is working in us, in me, when we do everything without grumbling or arguing. Oh. If you're with us last week, if if you heard the message last week, it was a message that focused on what walking with God would look like. The words do everything without grumbling and arguing, rock my world. It was in almost all of my conversations. In our small group that we had this last week, it took nearly half the time as the guys were going around just trying to figure out, God, what does it look like? I I mean, we complain not only once a day, but usually once an hour or, or maybe even more. God, you've got to change me from the inside out because I am so self-focused. I am so concerned about me that it's really easy to complain. Even I had a conversation with my grandson and sitting on our back porch and, and trying to explain this. And he looked puzzled. He he wondered. And we talk through how God is sovereign, how, how God really allows all things to happen to us. He permits. And we can complain. We can fight against what God is doing in our lives. Or we can receive it. Now, next week, we begin chapters 3 and 4. These are really popular and familiar Philippian passages. But before we get to chapter 3, next week, we get to go over a travel itinerary. Oh, aren't you glad you came today? Well, as, as you will find out, there's much more than just some travel plans. So let's pray before we open up the text for today. Father, we recognize you, are King, you. You somehow are involved in every one of our lives. We recognize your authority and your power and your wisdom and your strength. And we ask you, dear God, that you would increase our faith even today, that you would continue to work in a way that only you can work throughout all of our world, all of its chaos, as the enemy tries so hard to disrupt your plan and your ways. But God, we know you are stronger and you are more powerful We continue to pray for all the victims and all the families in the Highland Park area. God, the surgeries and the ramifications of this heinous event. God, would you draw these people to yourself? Would you give them your hope? Would you use the church to do that? We pray, Father, for churches in our area, for churches who are preaching your word, churches who are lifting you up, churches who are equipping the saints. We pray, Father, for the chapel, and we pray for fierce church, and we pray for redemption. We ask that you would work in these local churches and churches all over, our state, and all over our world. Wherever folks are meeting, wherever people are praising your name, wherever people are opening your word and hearing your voice, build your church up, Father. Encourage your people, and would your kingdom come. We pray for our church. We pray for each one who is here, whether online or in these, inside these walls. We pray, dear God, that you would strengthen us, empower us, that our vision of you would be grand, and our encouragement from you would give us wings. We pray for all those who are downstairs, all those who are teaching our kids, all those who are ministering to our kids. We pray that you would give them grace. We pray that our children would be able to have a clearer and better understanding of who you are and that would change their lives as you change our lives today. Father, in some ways it's hard to relate to Paul who is under house arrest, chained up to some guards. It's hard to understand uh, what the Philippian church actually is going through. But God, your words are powerful. And we can hear from you and ask you to teach us today. We pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. 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 You know, at times, it's hard to relate to Jesus, the God-man, and Paul, the super-apostle. Even though they did life very much like we do. We talk often about Jesus being our example. And we know that he went through every temptation and trial that we go through. But somehow we still... Put him on that pedestal. after all, he still is 100 percent God. I know he's a hundred percent man. So sometimes we struggle. We look at the Apostle Paul and we read some of the places he went and some of the boldness that he had and some of the fruit that he was given. And we just think, well, he had some superpower. He's just not normal. Well he is. And he trusted God anew in a fresh way, but but we still kind of put him on the shelf sometimes. Well, this morning we're gonna read about Timothy, who is a young elder, and Epaphroditus, who is a church member, two normal guys showing us how to live lives worthy of the gospel. Timothy and Epaphroditus are humble others focused servants who provide a shining example of working out the results of their salvation these two men love jesus and others we shouldn't elevate them beyond reason but we must see them as examples worth watching and following you know it's helpful that paul moves from instructions imperatives in this first part of the letter Two examples, living illustrations. Many of you know Billy Graham. Billy Graham was a hero, along with so many other saints before us, folks that made huge kingdom impacts, at least ones we could see. But making a kingdom impact doesn't look like Billy Graham's ministry for most of us. It looks quite different. Fred Craddock, who was a homiletics professor, uh, an old school professor, gave this illustration once. It, It went something like this. Serving God and giving up your life for Christ appears glorious ready to go out in a blaze of glory and paying the ultimate price of martyrdom is heroic. It seems like Christians who donate millions of dollars are the ones who are honored. But in reality, God sends most of us into the world in order that we might make 25-cent deposits. We go through life putting out 25 cents here and 50 cents there. We listen to neighbor's kids who are troubled instead of saying, get lost. We go to a prayer meeting or give a cup of water to a shaky old man in a nursing home. Usually giving our life to Christ isn't glorious or even noticed. It's done in all these little obedient acts of love. Fred finishes up saying this, 25 cents at a time living out the Christian life little bit by little bit over a lifetime. You see, faithful Christian living might mean martyrdom. But for many others, those like Timothy and Epaphroditus... It is listening to the Spirit and faithfully pouring our lives out little by little in practical acts of service over the long haul. It involves giving quarters out every day. It includes inviting a lonely person over for a dinner. It includes holding a crying baby or babysitting for some exhausted parents. Or maybe it's taking a neighbor to coffee or listening to him talk and share the same story over and over and over again. It's doing foster care. It's praying with a friend. It's helping someone move. It's visiting those in the hospital. And the list can go on endlessly. But this is what makes Timothy and Epaphroditus special. I personally think they will inspire us. Let's first look at Timothy. Timothy. So you can open up your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to start reading at verse 19. You can follow along on the screen if you don't have a Bible in front of you. Philippians chapter 2, verse 19. Paul writes this, If the Lord Jesus is willing, I hope to send Timothy to you soon for a visit. Then he can cheer me up by telling me how you're getting along. I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. All the others care only for themselves and and not for what matters to Jesus Christ. But you know how Timothy has proved himself. Like a son with his father, he has served with me in preaching the good news. I hope to send him to you just as soon as I find out what's happening to me here. And I have confidence from the Lord that I myself will come to see you soon. Paul starts off with, if the Lord Jesus is willing. God's sovereignty is consistently on Paul's mind. We all make plans, don't we? And most of us get pretty upset when those plans go awry. That's just the bottom line. And, and whether it be a traffic jam, whether it be a flat tire, whether it be, and you fill in the blank, <laughs> we don't like being delayed, we don't like not being in control. But realistically, we're not in control. We aren't. And I think Paul, all the way throughout his writings, there'll be these little tidbits, but, but he basically says, hey, if the Lord wills, <laughs> I, I want to send Timothy. I want to say, send Timothy back to you. He knew that God allows or ordains every situation or circumstances in our lives. It is foundational in his understanding of joy. His lack of complaining. His absolutely confidence that whatever situation, circumstance that is in his life, God is behind it. God is there. God ordained it. God allowed it. Now you might read again as he talks about cheer, but cheer and joy are actually different in this verse. Smiles or cheer happens when Christ's disciples obey and bear fruit. That is a pastor talking. And just saying, hey, it would bring me great joy to hear how you guys are doing. Excuse me, great cheer. Joy is found in Christ's presence regardless. Doesn't matter about the circumstances. You're just grateful that God is walking with you, God is with you, and God is giving you strength. You can tell that Timothy is special and that Paul has worked with a boatload of people now of course Paul knows other believers in Rome and actually all over the world but he said something no one is quite like Timothy and you got to ask why did he stick out and if you were around Paul wouldn't you have loved to have this compliment But he said it about Timothy. First of all, Timothy has compassion. Timothy naturally, genuinely cares about your welfare, you Philippian churchers. All right? And and what's interesting, Paul didn't say, Paul genuinely, or, or Timothy genuinely wants to make you happy. Isn't that something as you especially talk with parents? And sometimes it just slips out, and sometimes it's not really what they mean. But they'll say, I just want to make my kids happy. Happy. And I don't think that's a parent's responsibility, according to the scriptures. It isn't. And I think Timothy understood this also. Paul certainly understood this. But he says, hey, Timothy really naturally cares about your welfare. Now when you care for someone, helping them become well in life, or encouraging them on the journey, sometimes you go through hard times. Especially, again, if you're going to remember your parenting. Caring for your kids doesn't mean they get to eat everything they want to eat. They don't. Caring for your kids doesn't mean they go to bed whenever they feel like going to bed. Caring for your kids doesn't mean they get to hang out with anybody at any time. They just don't. You care for their health and their welfare. You care for their schedules. You want them to be healthy individuals. You want to encourage them in making great choices in life. Well, that's what Timothy does when he cares for this church. You see, caring for people isn't always appreciated, but it's always the right thing to do. And then Paul says this he cares about what matters to Jesus. Uh, uh, Timothy's different. He, He really understands who Jesus is, understands what matters to Jesus, and he cares about that. And and you start asking the question, well, what actually mattered to Jesus? If you again look through, read through, study through the Gospels, you'll see a few things that stick out. One thing would be is that God, his Father, mattered to Jesus. That he intentionally made time to spend time with God, his Father, and to listen to him and, and to obey him. Something else that mattered to Jesus was kingdom advancement. In other words, listening to God, obeying God, and being on mission, the stuff that God wants done. Jesus also served. He loved people. And the king of kings humbly served people. And you'll see all the way throughout the Gospels that Jesus loved teaching. Teaching about the kingdom. Teaching about what it means to be a disciple. Teaching about his father. He loved sharing good news about God and life in the kingdom. So I think that's some of the things that Timothy focused on. This ordinary guy. So this is important to Jesus. It needs to be important to me. Paul said this, others care about themselves, their needs, and their comfort. You have to just wait. You have to actually even just step back and, and Lord, is this why I complain so much? Am I just so concerned about me? Timothy was different. The scriptures also say that Timothy was a proven companion. A proven companion. Paul and Timothy had a relationship. And you can go back through Acts, especially 16 and 17. But Paul and Timothy had this this relationship together. And they called themselves slaves of Jesus Christ. Advancing the gospel in spite of the hardships or the scenarios that they endured. Said that they were a father and son together on mission, preaching the good news, proclaiming to everyone anytime they could who Jesus Christ was, how much he loved them, and what a difference a relationship with him would make as good news. Culturally, the apprentice learning from the master happened all the time here. It was part of the culture. But this is Paul making a disciple. The master, the rabbi, working with a student, helping him understand what is important. What is cool is that Paul used this word that Timothy proved himself. The word literally means tested in battle, reliable, trustworthy, that he finished tasks that he was given. Because not everybody does that. Everybody gets excited about new things or projects or challenges or missions or ministry. It's amazing how many people start off strong, And over the years, or maybe months, or even days, it gets harder. And you wonder why. The fruit doesn't always happen as, as quickly as you had hoped. And you quit. Timothy proved himself. I often use the acronym FAT. Timothy was fat. Timothy was faithful. Timothy was available. And Timothy was teachable. I love the picture of a father and son also because it gives us a picture of family. It it talks about, I think, commitment and loyalty. That Paul and Timothy served together. Paul saw who Timothy was. He loved serving with Timothy. And there was this commitment, this teamwork, this loyalty. Ultimately, Paul could trust Timothy. As I say it, Timothy learned from Paul what a humble, faithful servant looks like. And Paul learned from Jesus what a humble faithful servant looks like Paul ends this passage just saying I will send Timothy soon once I get a clearer picture of the situation that's happening here I'm not even sure I've been waiting as you guys all know to come before Caesar be able to get my day in court shall we say But right now, Timothy is exceptionally helpful to me. I will send him to you guys as soon as I am able. Then he talks about a rather, um, well, mysterious person. His name is Epaphroditus. Now, if some of you are familiar to Epaphras, which is mentioned in Colossians 4. At our prayer gathering, we talked a little bit about Epaphras. This is a different person. We're talking about Epaphroditus from the Philippian church. So let's read chapter 2, starting at verse 25. Meanwhile, Paul writes, I thought I should send Epaphroditus back to you. He is a true brother, a co-worker, and a fellow soldier. And he was your messenger to help me in my need. I'm sending him because he has been longing to see you. And he was very distressed that you heard he was ill. And he certainly was ill. In fact, he almost died. But God had mercy on him, and also on me, so that I would not have one sorrow after another. So I am all the more anxious to send him back to you. For I know you will be glad to see him, and then I will not be so worried about you. Welcome him in the Lord's love with great joy and give him the honor that people like him deserve. For he risked his life for the work of Christ. And he was at the point of death while doing for me what you couldn't do from far away. Paul mentions five descriptions for Epaphroditus that underscore his character and partnership. The first three descriptions relate to his relationship with Paul and the next two with his relationship to the Philippians. Now again, as much as we know, this was a very normal guy. He, he wasn't an apostle. He wasn't even an elder. But he was a trusted leader because according to this context, somehow the Philippian church understood Paul's needs, whether they be financial or just physical. And they sent this guy, Epaphroditus, to Paul to care for him. So they, they trusted him. Paul starts off saying this. And I think this is actually extremely helpful. I thought or I feel I should send Epaphroditus back to you. You know, when somebody walks with God, the Spirit prompts us in different ways. Sometimes the Spirit prompts us directly through the Word of God, and that's most of the time. But there are other times... That as you pray, and as you seek God's face, and as you listen to God, that there are these promptings. There'll be people that come to me and say, hey, hey Rick, how how do you think Jethro is doing? And and I'll go like, "Well, you know what? I haven't talked to Jethro. what, What brings him up? Or or why are you concerned about Jethro? Well, you know what? I was just thinking about him the other day. And if you're around me, what I will probably say is this. You know what? I think that's the Holy Spirit. I I just want you to know. I I bet he brought up Jethro's name to you, his situation to you. Why don't you call him? Oh, no, 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 no. No, really? Why don't you do that? It is exciting to walk with God, to listen to God, to be able to do life with God as he directs us, as he encourages us. Some of us are just waiting, I think, for emails from God, and they just don't come. They don't. So Paul says, you know, I should send back Epaphroditus to you. And I think we're going to understand that in a moment. But before he sends him back, he describes him. He said he's a true brother, a co worker, and a fellow soldier. And, And I just want you to know this is one of the texts I use all the time as I disciple other men. I think these are descriptors of someone that's walking with God, a true brother. A true brother. He knows the Lord. This person is family. It's a term of family. We've already talked about Timothy, but but he's faithful. He's loyal. He's committed. Oh, this is a special guy. He says he's a co-worker. They've served together. It's not that Paul is giving an assignment. It's, it's that Paul says, hey, we've been in the trenches together. We've been a team together. Oh, this is a special guy. And lastly, he's a a fellow soldier. It's a term, I think, especially in, in the way that Paul uses it, is recognizing that there's a war. That ministry is something that is challenging, that there is an enemy out there, that the enemy doesn't want you to advance. I think a fellow soldier brings across this idea that the stakes are high. Anyone who is a soldier, anyone in a war, recognize that it could mean your life. You need to care for fellow soldiers. You need to be able to protect. You need to be able to listen well. You need to be able to understand the enemy. You need to advance at certain times. (laughs) It's not an easy task. And I think fellow soldiers also understand their sacrifice. Their sacrifice. The stuff you eat wouldn't be the stuff you'd eat at home. The place you sleep, the clothes you wear, the hygiene that comes along with being a soldier, none of those things matter because you're listening to your commanding officer. You're advancing. This is how Paul describes Epaphroditus. This is a pretty amazing guy. Then he goes and he he says this, I want you to know that he also is your messenger and your helper. Or your minister is actually the word. Uh, You sent Epaphroditus and realistically, he was the one who communicated on your behalf that you care. You gave him a message. You gave him money. You sent him ahead, and he came, and he encouraged my heart. Thank you. He was a good messenger. He did what he was asked to do. And he said... He is a helper. He helped me. He ministered. He humbly carried out this assignment. No one understands all that he did for Paul, but just going into a compound where guards are is a little intimidating. But then Paul says this, and and we don't understand a lot as as you look at these verses, but we get a good idea that Epaphroditus was pretty sick. We don't know with what. He came, he made the trip, he did all these different things and got sick. Paul says that Epaphroditus was distressed for his home church. This is exactly the same word that is used when Jesus was distressed in the garden as he prayed to his father. This is not just some kind of a casual distress. This is, hey, what's going on in my home church? I wonder. Distress means deeply concerned. Even with death at Epaphroditus' doorstep, he's concerned about others more than himself. He isn't distressed about his health. He's distressed about the church. And if you put this in the context, I think he was concerned that they might be distracted or delayed in their mission. In other words, that church was advancing. That church was listening. That church was obedient. That church was making disciples. He didn't want that church to be distracted in any way, thinking, oh, well, well, maybe we better send some more soldiers, some more people over to Epaphroditus. We hear he's pretty sick. Maybe we should. He goes, man, I want you to stay on task. Don't be concerned about me. Don't be concerned about me. This was an amazing man of God. Then, as I read this verse, I need to ask you a question. Did the phrase, but God had mercy on him and also on me, move you? This was Paul talking, but that hit me. Because sometimes I'm so busy, or I'm so distracted, or I can fill in it. I forget how merciful God is. I forget that his mercies are fresh every morning. I know that I personally experience God's mercy in a plethora of ways. And you can just sit down and say, God, you are merciful to me. In fact, I think it's a good practice in the morning, just as you wake up, the first thing every morning is to thank God for his mercies and start naming some of them. Thank you for forgiving me, Father. Thank you for your sovereignty. Thank you that you are in control. Thank you that you are my king. Thank you that you are my companion. I know for me, as I start off my mornings like that, my perspective is different from the very beginning. It doesn't become so much about me. It becomes so much about who God is, what God is trying to teach me and tell me and guide me and direct me. But Paul says here, God had been merciful to Paul and Epaphroditus and actually the church in Philippi. He was merciful toward Epaphroditus and his health. We know that every breath we have, we have because it's God's mercy. We know that God was merciful toward Paul, so he wouldn't have to grieve. He wouldn't have to, well, be distracted in some ways. He knew how sick he was. He knew that he may not make it. But I think God showed his power and authority and encouraged Paul and the church as a result of giving Epaphroditus health. Then Paul goes on, and and it seems a little bit different, but he gives welcoming instructions to this church. Like, hey, when Epaphroditus comes back, I want you to treat him in a certain way. And, and you go like, well, wait, he's a leader, he was trusted. W- wouldn't you just normally treat a guy like this? Well, I think in the culture, there might be some shame involved here. Because he was sent to do a task, but he actually didn't do the task that well. He accomplished what he was supposed to do, but he got sick. And and I'm sure the focus became more on him than on maybe some other things that were happening. But what Paul was trying to say is this, is that I want you to welcome him. He is not a failure. He actually is a hero. You need to celebrate him. You need to honor him. Paul, I think, is saying that he faithfully spent some quarters and should be honored. When you see someone serving Christ faithfully, you should encourage them and thank God for them. And most of the time, that means being intentional. The Christian life should be filled with honoring one another. Ultimate honor goes to Jesus, but under that honor, we should have deep appreciation for the hard work of those who faithfully deposit quarters. This command to honor Epaphroditus, to me, is so refreshing, simply because he wasn't the famous one. He wasn't the big cheese. He was a simple messenger who almost lost his life when he took a gift to Paul in humble service and sacrifice. You know, if you were with us last week, we had the privilege of honoring the Wilsons. And in my opinion, uh, uh, Sam and Deb continually... Invested quarters all over. Most people had no idea of all the things that these two did. But it was fun to be able to grace them. There are certain times in the groups I'm in, we stop our study, we stop our learning, and we just say, you know what, let's go around and grace such and such. And we talk about them and the strengths they have. And then we pray for them in particular. Do you understand how that encourages one another? We probably need to be thanking God for all those humble servants that we see every day who are faithfully depositing the quarters. You know, as I wrap up, it's clear what would be on Timothy and Epaphroditus' tombstones. Now, again, we don't always get to choose what's on our tombstones, right? We don't. And sometimes it's pretty vague as you (laughs) walk through a cemetery. But wouldn't it be just unbelievable if when you pass, when you get to see Jesus, that the words that flow, they, they just come. And every, everybody knows. For Timothy, it would be compassionate and it would be companion. Timothy, thank you. Thank you for your investment. For Epaphroditus, his list at least was a little longer, which, again, I thought was so cool because he was the less known out of both of them. Brother and coworker and fellow soldier and messenger and minister. Thank you, Father, for sending him. You see, the church has always been... Hello? Hello? The... Hey, by the way, just so you know, um, there's been a few difficulties since early this morning. And uh, thanks for working with us, okay? Uh, and so here's another one, but let me finish. Oh boy, now I'm there. All right. The church has always been sustained, enriched, and built up by unsung heroes. Folks spending quarters multiple times a day I challenge you, read Romans 16, Paul's great theological letter, where he goes deep into theology. His last whole chapter is naming about 10,000 people and how grateful he is that they've been part of the church. How cool is that? How cool! is that we all have an opportunity to make a difference. So go by God's Spirit. Go by the Spirit's power and spend some quarters today for the good of others and the glory of Jesus just in your ordinary daily lives.